Well, as Jeannie mentioned, we are spending this month of May uh, looking at what it means for us to really grow. And we are waiting for that to happen outside. We are waiting for that to actually uh, see that. We're seeing it in some trees, and then they freak out because it gets down to 40 below or 40 or whatever. It just feels like 40 below. And so we are committing ourselves, regardless of what it feels like outside, to really explore this idea of how it's that God has actually created us to grow. That God desires for you to grow. How does that happen? We looked uh, two weeks ago at this passage, the central passage to our church and to this whole idea of what it means to be good to grow. And that's found in John 15, where Jesus is explaining that God is like a green thumb gardener who has planted us into the soil of this life. And that it is us who are actually connected to the vine who is Jesus, taken care of by God. So our life is like a branch connected to the vine of Jesus. And our goal is to abide, to stay as connected to him as possible. But you know that, uh, that that is not simply all there is to it when it comes to our growth. That all of us at some level desire growth. We desire change. We desire to be uh, at least better than we are right now. We desire some self-improvement, right? Every one of us does at some level. We want that. That's not the problem. We all want to be you know, less selfish this time next year. We want to have less of an anger trigger. We want to be more patient. We want to be more loving towards people in our life. All of us want that at some level. True? And we all want that at some level. The problem is, for many of us, is we get sort of stuck on the, the how, the what we do. We all have the desire. It's just the doing is where we get stuck. We desire to change. We desire to improve. We desire to live better lives. But it's the doing, it's the the discipline, the daily living it out, which is where we get stuck. I think this is true for every single person, no matter where they're at with God, wherever it may be. We all desire that. So I just like, just to kind of prove my point here, I want to ask you a couple of questions where the answers are incredibly obvious. And I'm going to give you a hint in the front end. The answer to all these questions is yes. So I'm just going to ask you that so that when I ask you, you already feel like you're ahead. All right. So I'm I'm helping you out as best I can. So the question is, and this is what we're talking about for this whole month. Do you want to grow? Yes. Okay, good. That was said as though you actually believe it. Do you want to grow? Yes, you do want to grow. Of course. Do you want to see things like patience and joy and forgiveness and purpose and peace flow more freely from your life? Yes, good. Again, not trick questions. I'm really, like some of you are hesitating. I told you the answer already. And for some of you who will one day like stand at an altar, I want to let you know, answer quickly, answer yes. Like, no, you're taking a little too long. I'm a little concerned. Okay. All right. Next question. Do you want to be all of who God has created you to be? Yes. Yes. Okay. So then this is the final question to me. What are you willing to do about it? Yes. (laughs) I knew that was coming. What are you willing to actually do about it? We all desire it. We all desire to improve, change, grow, transform is the language we would use around here. We desire that. The question for each of us to wrestle with tonight and in our lives is, what am I actually willing to do about it? Where am I willing to go to work when it comes to my own personal growth, my own relationship with God, my soul's growth? What am I willing to do for it? Because all of us want it, but many of us, many of us stay stuck because few of us are actually willing to do what God has created all of us to do, which is to go to work and grow, to take responsibility 
for our relationship with God to take responsibility for our growth. We desire it. We all want it. What are you willing to do about it? Because when you really care about something, you'll do anything for it. If it really matters to you, you will do whatever it takes. I know this about you because I know this about me. When I first met Jeannie, I was willing to do whatever it took to win this girl's heart. I would do, and we lived, she lived in Chicago. I grew up in San Francisco. So we had a distance thing between us. And so our relationship at the beginning took work. It took work. And so like there were hour long phone calls, multiple hour long phone calls, phone calls that would go into the wee hours of the morning. And it was a lot for me to stay focused and like, you know, not play a video game or something while we're trying to like build this relationship that would not grow our relationship. Right. So we would talk and it'd be so good. And I'd be like, I am willing to stay up till one in the morning to connect and to win this girl's affection. Completely unaware of the fact about the two hour time change, she's staying up till three in the morning just to build this relationship. So, all the way from the very beginning, she was already ahead of me, right? So, I would do whatever I wrote letters. And the letters are these things with paper and pen, and you, you literally make the words, these letters form words, and it's fascinating. There's no autocorrect, but it's fascinating. And so I would write, we would write love letters to each other and I would express and just lay these things out and then have to wait three days till she got it. Did you get it? Did you get it? I would do whatever it took. I made so many mixtapes. I, I made so many mixtapes to this girl. I'm like, no, follow the theme. I wrote every song out in those tiny little lines with the tiny little penmanship so that you could see my love for you through this song. Like I was so, I was so committed. I'd do whatever it took. I would do whatever it took. Listen, we uh, had to fly back and forth to see each other because we lived at a distance for 18 months. We did a long distance. So I worked three jobs, three jobs just to be able to afford airline tickets to be able to go and see Genius. So we could have a couple days of just being in the same zip code with each other. In fact, one time when she came out to visit me in San Francisco is right around Valentine's Day and my birthday. And so this is back in the day where you could actually go to the gate where someone was landing. You could actually walk up there and, and greet them when they landed. And, uh, and so I, I made her a sign, this giant phone core sign, where I wrote in candy hearts, I love you, Jeannie. And I stood at gate F14, you know, at SFO, just like a say anything kind of moment, just sort of waiting for her plane to get there. And so when she came off, she saw how much. I loved her. I was willing to do any. Now, again, these days that would never get through security. Like you'd never, I'd be on so many lists right now, but that was like, that's because I wanted her to know I will do whatever it takes for this relationship to grow. Right. When you really want something, you'll sacrifice anything for it. Won't you think about it? For those of you who've gotten onto a health kick, those of you who are running the marathon with us here at soul city church, like, you know, like you got to take this thing seriously. You get excited about it. Right? So maybe it's a diet thing and you're like, I got to clean out my entire fridge. I'm throwing everything away. And so you throw your food away, your roommate's food away, your spouse's food away. You throw everything away because you're starting fresh. And then you buy all the new food. You buy the protein shake that you swear you're going to drink, right? You get so committed to it. You get a gym membership. You're like, okay, I'm serious about this. I'm going to get my gym membership. But you can't really have a gym membership without having some like cool gym clothes. So then you got to go buy the clothes too, right? Then you probably need some new shoes. And so you go all out because it matters to you. It matters to you. And I have friends who've had to make health changes because of things in their life. And it becomes an obsession for them. Have you ever met these people where it's like, this is what I do. You'll do anything for this because it matters to them. For those of you who fought hard, worked hard to get a job, you know, that first job, especially, 
right? I mean, you work hard to get that job. You take incredible creative liberties with your resume. You make, you make the truth sound so much better. And so you'll do anything. You'll interview well. You'll put your best foot forward. You'll even iron a shirt. Like you will do whatever it takes to win this job. You'll show up on time, right? First day, which for you, like that, for some of you, that's a big deal, right? Might as well be early for some of you to show up on time, right? So we'll do, if it matters to us, we'll do anything. We'll do anything. The thing is, though, for many of us, is once we get that thing, whether it's a relationship, whether we start to do the workout thing, we realize that it's actually hard, you know, and the diet choices are hard. You get the job and you realize no matter how hard you try, you're not really going to impress your boss and rise to the top of the ladder like you thought you would. What begins to happen? The thing that you fought so hard for, you begin to forget about and you begin to coast on comfort. You begin to find ways that you can kind of get by and get through and not have to put as much work in these days because... It's not like it used to be. It's not like it was. I don't have to work as hard anymore because, look, I already have it. And so what ends up happening is we begin to coast. We begin to, the thing that we sacrifice so hard for, we begin to settle on. We just, months ago or a year ago or whatever, you sacrifice so hard for this relationship, for this job, for whatever it is. And now you're finding that you can actually settle on a few things. And it doesn't quite matter as much. And you're not giving it quite as much intention. And you confuse inertia with intention. And you think just because things seem like they're going well, they must be going well. And it happens to all of us. We begin to coast uncomfortable. And in the process, we begin to lose what mattered so much to us that we would do anything for it. And we find ourselves doing very little about it. Look, this is true when it comes to relationships. This is true when it comes to work. This is true when it comes to working out. This is true when it comes to your relationship with God. It's no different. If you've ever met someone who starts on a relationship with God or hits a season of growth and they are just consuming everything around them. I mean, if it just has God in the title, they bought it. They are, they are all over it. They are reading it. They are listening to it. They, have, they are consuming the Bible. They are praying. They are so hyped and excited about this. And if you watch over time, many times those folks will end up, something will happen. What got them there doesn't work anymore. Or life gets hard and the, the, the things that worked last year don't quite work like they did this year. And same thing happens. Same thing happens. We begin to coast uncomfortable. The thing that we sacrifice so much for, we begin to settle on. So there's a real interesting tension and dynamic, isn't there? That all of us want to grow, and yet for so many of us, so many of us, we settle for something less. And we allow life to sort of happen to us instead of taking responsibility and ownership for the one life that God has given us. Right? God's created you for more than coasting, friends. He did not create you to coast through life. He did not create life to happen to you. Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, that God created you to actually live life to the what? To the fullest, that you would live it to the fullest, that you would actually value it as God does and sacrifice for it and work on it and do whatever it takes to take responsibility for your own growth, for your own soul. And interestingly enough, there's a process that begins to happen when we're very serious about doing this and we see God at work in the work that we do in taking responsibility for ourselves, for our growth, for our soul. And so what I want you to do is grab the Bibles that are right in front of you, if you would. We're going to camp out on just one passage, central passage tonight. And it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It's page 1085 in the Bibles that are right in front of you. Page 1085, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Let's look at what happens and how serious... God is about us taking responsibility 
for our spiritual growth. This is very interesting. Philippians 2 verse 12 says these words. Paul is writing to a church that he was uh, helping, uh, got them sort of going, got them started, was there in the beginning. And he saw them growing. He saw what was happening. But he was at a distance from them now. He was helping start other churches all over that area. And he saw the curve coming that all of us hit. That life's going to get hard. That the things that worked before don't work today. And that growth takes work. And so Paul sees that curve coming and he writes these words to them. Philippians 2 verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed or as you have always, you know, strived to follow God, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pause right there for a second. Paul is saying, look, I know you desire to grow. I've seen you respond to God and trust and follow God. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. A couple of thoughts, a couple of notes on this. For many of us, maybe you grew up around the church or you had at least some kind of exposure to the church and maybe you grew up around a church or heard about churches that talked about salvation as being a past tense thing, a static thing that happened at one moment in time. And it is true that there is a moment for many of us where we enter into a relationship with God, but the reality of salvation is it is something that is actually being worked out dynamically in real time. It is true that because of our faith in Jesus Christ and the gift that he gave us of life through his death, which we talked about all through leading up to Easter, that there is something that changes in us. We enter into a relationship with God when we put our faith in that act of what Jesus did. But that is not the end of the story. And for many churches and for many Christians, that's it. They got the deal. They signed the papers. They got the lease signed. They're good to go. And so the deal from that is like maybe try and smoke less, drink less, swear less, give more. You know, and that's like if you can kind of coast through that, you'll be all right because you signed the deal. You got salvation. No, that is not what the Bible teaches. While that deal is done by God, there is a part that we play in a relationship with God. And it is working out our salvation daily, dynamically, in real time. In real life. And Paul uses these words with fear and trembling. And that does not mean freaked out in the corner with your thumb in your mouth. Like, oh my God. so That's not what it means. This phrase is a reference to, an allusion to, uh, an occurrence that happened all throughout the Bible. When people would have an experience with God. When they would realize that they are in the very presence of God. Or they would have a vision where they were present with God. The response was to fall in fear and to tremble in the greatness of God. And every time God says, fear not, stand up, I am here, I am with you. But the greatness and the power and the goodness of God is so overwhelming that it would just cause you and I, any normal person, to just fall flat on our face. And so Paul's saying, look, it's the same with you working out your salvation, your relationship with God. It is as though God is present right there with you every day, dynamically, in the trenches of real life. You work it out with that sort of reverence, that awareness of God's role in the process. Because this is what's so fascinating. Moving on to verse 13. Just as we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, look at what Paul says. For it is God who what? Works 
in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Isn't that interesting? So here we are working out. We are working out. We're figuring out. Are we always getting it right? My goodness, no. But we are working out our salvation, our relationship with God, our responsibility and our growth. But all the while, what's happening behind the surface? What's happening beneath the waters? What is God doing? He is actually working in you. He's enabling you to actually do it. So you are not alone in the process. You are not all alone in the process. This is what's so beautiful to me about God. Is that he did not just do this act for you. He does this process with you. And he invites you into working out taking responsibility for your growth, your soul, as he works in you. He's actually the one who enables you to do it, but he invites you into the process with him. Isn't that something? He could have very much easily given you a list of rules. Here's your holy book. Here's your standards. Meet up or you're out. That's not our God. Our God says, we're going to work this out. We're going to work this out. Oh, you did that again? We're going to work this out. Oh, you doubted me here again? We're going to work this out because I am always at work in you. I am always at work in you. And I'm inviting you to be at work in your relationship with me. We have a way of saying it around here at Soul City. It's pretty simple. Spiritual growth kind of looks like this. Me doing what only I can do and God doing what only he can do. And not getting it twisted. There are things that only God can do, and he's always going to do those, right? Grace, that's him. He got that one. Like, he, he has invented that. He has the power to forgive you. He is the almighty creator of the universe. He is the sustainer of the universe. Like, there are things that only God can do, and God will always do. But the crazy thing is, is there are things that he has invited only you to do. He is not going to make you talk to him. He loves you too much to force you to do that. He invites you to. He's not going to make you turn your head when something comes on TV or a conversation happens at work. He won't make you to. He loves you too much to do that, but he invites you to, to work it out. Because there's things that only God can do, and he will always do them. But there are things that only you and I can do. It's our responsibility when it comes to our soul. And for some reason, the God of the universe has entrusted that to you. He trusts you. To take responsibility for your soul, your life, your growth. So what does that look like? Well, as I was praying through this time together and thinking through, okay, what is it that our soul, the soul of this church and the people who are part of this church, where is it, God, that you are inviting us to grow? And as I listened and prayed for for you and what God's doing here, I feel like God led me to three specific areas that we're going to camp out on tonight. There are far too many for us to get through in the time tonight. Because what we're going to look at here are things called spiritual disciplines. Have you ever heard of those before? Spiritual disciplines. Many of you have. I wish they would have rebranded this thing a little bit better. Because the word discipline just feels just negative and heavy. I wish they would have called it like freedom explosions or something like, (laughs) something just a little bit more. I don't know, that would have been lame too. But the point is like, There are these things called spiritual disciplines, and there are uh, a couple dozen of these practices. That's what they really are. They're spiritual practices that people of faith have done for thousands of years. 
Thousands of years, people of faith have said, I'm going to work it out by doing this thing to connect my soul to God and to grow, to take responsibility. Way too many for us to cover in our time here tonight. But I want to recommend two resources for you. The first is a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. You might want to write that down. This is one of those books that you don't skim through. This is one you take a year to read. Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. He goes into and dives into specifically what some of these disciplines are like, what they do to us, how they, God uses them to actually grow us. So he is working in us as we work it out to these. The other one is a foundational book here for our church, and it's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. I'm not going to spell that for you. We just don't have enough time. So... Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Celebration of Discipline. Talk a lot about these spiritual disciplines. We're going to look at three tonight in the time that we have left. And let's walk into the first one right now. And I believe that God is inviting you and inviting our church into scheduling times of intentional solitude. I believe that one of the places you and I in our very busy, fast-paced, distracted lives can step into and take responsibility for our growth is in scheduling solitude. This is a practice that Jesus did often. Often. Scriptures tell us again and again that while the crowds clamored, while the sick surrounded, while people were all about Jesus, demanding from him another word, another touch, another miracle, another promise fulfilled, another prophecy fulfilled, Jesus would literally pull away from the crowds. And it said oftentimes he would go to lonely and quiet places to be still. To be with God. To be present. And the process of doing so would disappoint many people. There were so many more towns to go to. There were so many more people he could minister to. But he knew that if he did not pull away in solitude by himself, alone with God, that he would not have anything to offer. And this is so true of our lives, although we are a far cry from Jesus. Most of us spend most of our days exhaling, giving this, giving to that. I got family, I have kids, I have work, I have friends, I have these sort of expectations. And then we're just, we're basically exhaling or either throwing up on Facebook or Twitter. We're just constantly putting out there, putting out there, putting out there. And what ends up happening, the longer you do that without inhaling what's going to happen, you're going to pass out. You have nothing to offer. And Jesus knew this. And so he'd say, no, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pull away. I will go into solitude, which means time alone with God. And I'll be present. And I'm telling you, this is one of the hardest but most powerful disciplines for me in my life. Because the second I get quiet, I get freaked out. Because all the noises and all the things I have to do start running through my head. I'm like, oh, okay, God, okay, God, I want, to be, I want to be present. I want to be quiet. I want to be still with you. But yeah, 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 I think I should. I want to email real quick. I'll be right back. And then it's like, I'm just distracted and I'm gone. And so maybe for you this week, one of the things we're going to talk about this specifically in a second, that when you come into a time of solitude with God, the rules are really simple. It's just be present. Lay your agenda down. And maybe one of the best things you could do is Everything that's anxious and frantic in your heart and in your life, you spend five minutes writing all of it out. And then you look at that and go, okay, God, that's me. What do you have? And you let God speak in. 
And you be still and know that he is God. And that you don't have to utter a word for him to be God. And you stay there and you listen. And here's the great thing. Lots of times when I'll engage in this time, I'll go for a walk. I'll be still. I'll just get some time away where it's quiet and it's just me. Do you know what happens? Nothing. Nothing. It's not like I go and all of a sudden the clouds part and I see God's perfect will for my life. And the question that I had at work, I see on a t-shirt of someone walking by like, it doesn't work that way. But there are times, there are moments where God will whisper a word and it will bring me to tears. Because I know God has been waiting and inviting and waiting and inviting me to take responsibility with my time and say, no God, I will be here with you now. And those times are worth every time that I sit there and nothing magical happens. And sometimes just sitting there and being still for 30 minutes in front of God is one of the best things you can do whether you hear him or not. Because it's 30 minutes away from everything else. I mean, we spend more time waiting for food to come at a restaurant than we do intentionally being quiet and still before God. Solitude is one of the disciplines that we can actually take responsibility with. And God grows you because of it. He does. Another one is engaging the scriptures, engaging the Bible. We believe that this book is given to us as a gift from God, a love letter from God, a way of life from God. And it's central to our faith and our belief and our practice. And the crazy thing is, is I've kind of grown up with this around my house or my life. And I feel like I've maybe read it before. And the more and more I dive in and engage, the more I find things that I go, I never knew that was in there before. I've been at this thing for years. And God speaks something fresh. I find something new that speaks directly to my life in that moment where it seems as though the whole book was written just for me. We believe in the power of what God does and how he grows us through the Bible. In fact, there's a person who is part of our church. And one day when we said, go ahead and pull out your Bibles, he looked down the row and saw that no one was pulling out their Bible. And he's like, well, that's silly. And so he just told us, he's like, look, just get Bibles for everyone. Just get everyone Bibles. There should be no excuse. And so that's why these Bibles are in the back of your seats. And here's our deal. We tell you every time. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, if you like kind of gotten this far in life, you're like, I don't like, maybe my parents gave me one when I was five. I have no idea where that is. I'm sure my mom has it on the shelf somewhere. Like you don't own a Bible. Take this home with you tonight. Steal a Bible from church. Do it. It's an incredibly liberating feeling. Tweet that, okay? I just stole the Bible from church. And you can too. So we believe in the power of this because it is like life. It's like oxygen to us when we engage it. When we don't just sort of skim through it. When we don't just sort of read it out of religious obligation. But we engage the scriptures. We find God there and we find ourselves there. Listen to these words written out of Psalm 119. Describing how good God's word, his word to us is. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now listen to this. I gain what? Understanding from your precepts or from your ways, your teaching. I actually gain understanding. I see things clear. I have a new lens and a new perspective. So much so that I hate 
every wrong path. How many of us have been stuck where we're like, should I go out with him? Should I go out with her? Should I take the job in Philly? Should I not take the job in Philly? I don't know which way to go. And people will ask me, they'll email me, they'll ask me over coffee, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? I don't know. I have no idea. I barely know you. I have no idea. But my hunch is, if you engage with God and listen to God, you will begin to recognize, at the very least, what are right paths that lead to life, growth, and freedom, and what are not. And this is illustrated for us so clearly in this passage. Your word becomes a what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That I don't have the whole, you know, course charted out for me. But God, your word lets me know what the next step is. And what the next step is. And what the next step is. We believe in the power of God's word to change and transform our lives. And what it look like for you to take responsibility with that. To no longer write it off as, oh, I've never done it before. I've never read it before. Or it's really hard. Or, I just get bored. Like, but to take responsibility with it and engage with it this week. Last one. What would it look like for us as a church to honor the Sabbath? To honor the Sabbath. Now, that sounds as about Old Testament as you can get. Like, isn't that one of the commandments? Yes, it is. It's that good. It's been around for that long. What does it mean, the Sabbath? The Sabbath is literally a day of rest, first instituted for us in the creation account where God, speaking the world into existence, he speaks everything into existence. And at the end of six days of creating our creator god does what he rests on the seventh day did he need to was he so tired from creating the world no he was not what he was giving us was a rhythm a way that it is good to work contrary to popular belief it is good to work hard and it is better to rest well work hard rest well rest in god's presence. That's what the Sabbath does. It's a way of life for people. Hebrews 4 says this, that there remains then a Sabbath. There remains this sort of practice, this rhythm, this Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who enter into God's rest is what the writer of Hebrews calls it. This way of God knowing that we need to rest. We also rest from our work just as God did from his. This is what we do. Taking a Sabbath, taking a full day of rest is an incredibly revolutionary thing to the needs and demands that you think you have in your life. Because what you say is, I am not the center of the universe, at least for one day. That there are emails that will go unanswered today. That there are maybe phone calls or text messages or whatever that I'm not going to take. That I am going to let my soul be at rest Because if I'm constantly running, then I'm going to crash. And God knows that. And he loves you enough to say, look, even I, the God of the universe, took a rest. So what's your excuse? It's time. And I believe this is true for our church especially. Because you're out. You work hard. You go hard. You are out there, you know, man, pushing hard. And yet I think there's a place for us to grow, each of us to grow, to say, you know what? Maybe the most trusting thing I can do in God is to just stop and rest. And this is a practice that our family has committed to. We knew that starting a church was going to be one of the hardest things we would ever do. And we were way off on that one. 
It has really been hard. And so we have worked harder than we've ever worked over the last two years starting Soul City Church. And we committed as a family, we will work harder at Sabbath. That there will be a day, and for our family it's Saturday, where we stop and rest and chill and do things that fill our heart and our lives. I mean, we don't like go into a room and lock the door and just like plug our ears. We go outside, we play. Our son had a baseball game in the snow this last Saturday. Like, you know, invite friends over who fill you up. Jeannie did such a great job talking last week about what it means to surround ourselves with people who cause us to grow, friends that we want to be like. Here's a tip. Invite them over on your Sabbath and let God actually fill your soul. It's okay. Let God speak in and fill your soul. If going for a walk fills your soul, go for a walk. If sleeping fills your soul and taking a nap, which you would never do throughout the week, is something that will give your soul rest, then hear these words. Go take a nap. It's the most spiritual thing you can do. And some of you, that's all you're going to hear tonight. And you have it like, my pastor said, I just need to take more naps. On Sabbath is what I'm saying. Okay, so let's get that straight, okay? Because that may be the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest. The most spiritual thing you can do is to fight to rest. And to choose to trust that God is actually the one who's in control. And all those things that say ASAP will still be here tomorrow. And you will be much better equipped to handle them. The days that our family Sabbaths well, we walk into the next week full. And guess what that week does? Beats the snot out of us. And so then we get to Saturday and we rest and we recover and we fill up and we laugh and we talk. And then we go into the next week. But it's a beautiful rhythm that God has actually put into your life and mine. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to take responsibility to do what only you can do? Here's the crazy thing. God is not going to rest for you. God is not going to open the Bible and somehow magically transfer all these words into your brain for you. God is not going to clear your schedule like he parted the Red Seas and say, here is the hour and a half for you to spend with me today. It's not going to happen. Not only is God not going to do that, no one else is going to do that for you. There is not a special committee meeting right now thinking about and talking about how to improve your life. That's not happening. In fact, everyone is meeting right now talking about how they can take you out. They are here to slow you down, to take you off course, right? That feels that way at least sometimes. And so what does it look like for you to take responsibility and say, okay, okay, I don't have it all figured out, but I'm going to work it out this week. I'm going to work it out this week. Here's a couple suggestions that we can do together as a community. Scheduling solitude. Look, you need to write this down, seriously. Like, write it on your hand. Do whatever you need to do. Because this is important stuff for the growth of our church and for your spiritual growth. Maybe for some of you, it's solitude this week. And you need to set aside 30 minutes every day. You, you can spend more time watching highlights from a game 15 years ago on ESPN Classics than you can spending time being present with the God of the universe, right? And if our soul desires to grow, then let's connect ourselves to the source of life, to God himself. Maybe for some of you, it's 30 minutes this week. This is an obligation thing. It's not a duty thing. It's a desire thing. It's a discipline thing. Right? When it comes to engaging the Bible, this is just a suggestion. The book of James, really great book. 
they're all great books, really, but the book of James, really great book, right? If you don't own a Bible, take one with you tonight or get your Bible out and like pick a book and stay in it for the course of this week. Here's some, pick one chapter and read it every day for the course of this week and let God speak something new to you to awaken something in you, to remind you of how good and true his word is. And then honoring the Sabbath, I would encourage you, we would challenge you to schedule, to do whatever you have to do to really disappoint people this week. (laughs) To say no to some things that you could do to do the thing that only you can do, which is to rest, to be still, to stop, to acknowledge that God's actually the center of the universe, not you. We do it on Saturday. We'd love for you to join us. Don't really come over, but we'd love to know that you're doing it (laughs) at the same time. Right? You can do this. Do you know why? Because God is at work in you. You can work this out because he is working in you to take responsibility for your growth. I don't know, man. I I I haven't been a Christian for that long. I don't know how to, I don't know all the verses. I don't know all the, I haven't memorized all the right answers. It's okay. God's still, same God, still at work in you. He is in me. I don't know. This is just like, I've been doing this for a long time. It feels kind of stale. Get back to work. Work it out. No more excuses. No more coasting on comfort. Right? That's not what God's created you for. No more settling for the thing that you would be willing to sacrifice anything for. God has created you to live life to the fullest and to take responsibility for your growth. Let's do it together this week. You in? Okay. Well, I'm going to invite the band to come up right now. and We're going to spend some time worshiping and praising God, singing things that we believe to be true about God to God. But before they do, I want to let you know about another thing that we do around here. And this is a great thing. Uh, you know, if you've been around here before, we take a time where we give back to God. We literally, as part of our saying thanks to God, give a percentage of what he has given to us, of our finances. We do this every week because we believe God needs to remind us every week, if not every day, that it's not our stuff. It's his stuff that he's graciously given to us. And so here's the cool thing. We give out of gratitude. Here's how good God is. He uses it to grow us. And you have been holding on to your resources You've been holding on to your money. You fought hard for it. And God is inviting you to take a step of growth and to say, will you trust me just with a percentage? Because it's not even about Soul City Church. We don't care if you give to us. Seriously. Like, but that you give back to God somewhere as a discipline in your life. Because what it does is it begins to free you and loosen the soil. And you begin to see all the stuff as God's stuff. And this thing that's a response of gratitude actually becomes a step of growth and responsibility in your life. So we're going to do that right now. I want to pray for that, and we're going to receive that and sing to God right now. But let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you did not just do for us, but you have invited to now do this life with us. And you don't miss a beat. You are always doing what only you can do, God. And we thank you for that. The fact that we have air in our lungs is a gift from you. The fact, God, that we can stand and gravity works. Only you can do that. The fact that we can stand in your presence, a righteous and holy God, and sinful us can be with a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's only you. And we thank you for that, God. That you have never not done what only you can do. And so now, God, we want to, as your children, as your sons and daughters, 
partner with you, our Father God, to say, okay, okay, no more coasting. No more waiting for life to happen or you to magically make us better. We will take responsibility with our growth, with our soul, as people, as a church. And God, we are excited to see how you will grow us this week. We are expected to see, God, how you will grow us this week. Thank you, God, for this church, for the gift of this space, for the resources that have been poured out towards your work that you're doing here in Chicago and here in the West Loop, God. Thank you again that you let us be a part of it. We are thrilled to do life with you. And we desire to know you more and walk more closely with you, our God. In your name, by your power, and because of you at work in us, we pray. Amen.